Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church and delighted to welcome you to worship. Before we do anything else, let me just state, if you haven't heard, that we lost two really important men in our church this week. Uh, They both died within minutes of each other. Larry Wynn died on Friday morning, and then just a few minutes later, a man named Cliff Stewart. Uh, Cliff's funeral will be in this house here in just a moment, just uh, hours after we're finished here. Uh, Pray for his granddaughter, Casey. Some of you wouldn't know Cliff. He was a very quiet man. Uh, you couldn't kick him and make him make a sound. He joined our church uh, in the early 2000s after the death of his wife, Gloria. He loved Gloria very much. We've only known Cliff as this uh, slick bachelor uh, with us. He was in our single adult program, 84 years old. Uh, but uh, just to know that he's with Jesus and reunited with Gloria is, uh, is an amazing thing to imagine. Uh, but for me, just... Um, Knowing that this afternoon Cliff's body will be in and then carried out of this church for the last time is just an important moment for me and same thing for Larry Wynn. Larry's family is burying Larry here in Woodburn Cemetery because uh, they know Larry would want to be close to this church that he loved. Um, There are probably a lot of pastors, preachers, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, whatever, religious uh, celebrities who will always be well known, but I promise you the kingdom of God is mostly carried forward on the backs of faithful men like Cliff Stewart and Larry Wynn. So uh, we're blessed to know them. Uh, Let's take a moment and pray before we do anything else. Lord God, we do thank you for the privilege of having our lives touched by the lives of these good men for Cliff Stewart and his gentle and quiet ways or for the way he uh, was brought here in his grief and yet found, Lord, a church family that would love him and a place where he could love as well. Thank you, Lord, for his faithfulness, for his kindness, Lord, and I thank you for the knowledge that he is now in your sight, uh, though no longer in ours. Lord, for Larry Wynn, uh, whose mind always stretched itself to know you and to think your thoughts, Lord, I thank you that he is now seeing with his own eyes what he's only believed and looked forward to in his faith. Lord, bless their souls and especially, Lord, the souls of their families who will grieve them with such thankful hearts. Lord, bless them with them. Lord, as a church family, may we always know how to love each other well. May we always know how to grieve with those who grieve and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And let us do so, Lord, until that day comes when you wipe every tear from every eye and there is nothing left but rejoicing. We pray all these things in the hope for that day in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, in the middle now of a sermon series entitled Parables, I just want as a congregation us to spend some time uh, listening to Jesus preach. And if you're going to hear Jesus preach, you're going to have to hear parables. Scripture says that Jesus never opened his mouth to preach without a parable. This is the way he preached, and I find it so amazing. Today's parable, Luke chapter 12, uh, beginning of verse 13, is the parable of the rich fool. So here we go. 
Um, kind of interesting uh, in preparing to preach this sermon today that uh, on Tuesday of this past week, it was announced the, uh, uh, the winning of the largest Powerball jackpot in the jackpot history. Did y'all hear about that? Uh, a man named uh, Edwin Castro in California bought his ticket at Joe's service station in Alameda, California. I didn't make any of that up, y'all. He did. Uh, He had the one winning ticket for the jackpot, which reached, did y'all hear? Over $2 billion. So Edwin Castro won over $2 billion. I mean, overnight, he becomes a billionaire, $2 billion. Now, Edwin Castro did not, uh, he bought his ticket in November. Everybody knew there was a winner, but he didn't come out till this week, and he still hasn't let his face be seen. He's hiding. I don't blame him. Uh, he chose to take his winnings in a lump sum, which means he won't be getting it over you know, time. He'll be getting it in one lump, one big check. And so when you do that, you, you get... Your winnings are reduced, so be warned. If you take your billion dollars in a lump sum, it becomes something like $100 million, which is like, what? But yeah. So you took it one lump sum, which made his winnings come down to like $990-something million. Uh, and that's before taxes. So after taxes, they say his winnings will be something like $600-something million. $600 million. It's not $2 billion, but that's a whole lot of money. That's amazing. So God bless Edwin Castro. God bless him because they say there's a curse on jackpot winners. Have you heard this? That lottery winners, they become overnight billionaires, millionaires, as, as we've said, but uh, it ruins their lives. They say that much money just ruins your life. You will end up inevitably broke. You'll end up divorced. You'll end up drunk. You'll end up friendless. And that happens like in the first four hours, apparently. You just, you fall apart when that much money comes. I, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if there's a curse, but let me tell you this, true story. Uh, new couple moved into Woodburn a while back. And so I went and knocked on the door because that's just what I do. I just welcomed them to Woodburn, knocked on the door. This lady opens the door. She looked unhappy. She just did. I'm just saying. She looked unhappy. She opened the door. I said, hi, my name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. I know you're new in the neighborhood. Just wanted to welcome you to Woodburn and just let you know I'm the pastor of the church there, Woodburn Baptist Church. We'd love to have you at our church. And the lady said, oh, I'm sure you would. As soon as people find out that we're lottery winners, everybody wants us in their church because they want our money. I didn't know. Like, I didn't know, but she's still talking, right? She says, I'm sure you would. And ever since we won the lottery, we can't trust our family. Our family can crawl in out of everywhere, but all they want is our money. When people know that you won the lottery, all that they want is your money. We don't have any friends left. And I'm sure that the people at your church, as soon as they find out that we've won the lottery, all they want is our money. <laughs> Uh, lady, I tell you, in my mind, like, y- are y'all thinking what I was probably thinking? Because I'm thinking, listen, if you don't want people to know you won the lottery, maybe stop bringing it up. Like, she, she told me not once, not twice. She told me five times in the first minute of conversation. Well, people find out you're a lottery winner. I'm like, well, don't say that. I mean, you know. So they left two weeks. I mean, they, y'all must have found out they were lottery winners and ran them out of town because... Because she moved out. So I don't know if there's a lottery curse. So I can't, I can't speak about her. But Edwin Castro, nation's newest millionaire. Um, you've heard that there's a curse, but I know how you think. And you're thinking, yeah, other people are weak. They can't handle being an overnight millionaire, but I could deal with it. 
That's what you're thinking? Like there may be a curse where their lives get wrecked, but I bet you I could do it. I bet you I could handle it. I could do it. Would you trade places with them? I mean, would you? Because, you know, some of us are just honest. We just say, probably being a millionaire isn't all that great, but not being a millionaire isn't all that great either, right? I mean, that's how you think. And you're thinking, maybe my family would all run off, but maybe that's a good thing. You know, I don't like my family that much. You know, know, maybe with them and be poor, without them and be rich. Uh, Yeah, you know, sometimes that's how we... How, how we think. Um, so Edwin Castro is the newest millionaire in the United States. Would you trade places with him? I want you to think about it. As we turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 13, the parable of the rich fool. This is just so good. Just so good. Read with me. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you? I just think that's kind of funny. Like Jesus is saying, who made me the judge? It's like, you kind of are, you know, the judge. Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then Jesus said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and all my other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now, take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you fool. You fool, you will die this very night. Then who's going to get everything you worked for? Yeah, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. I know y'all like that kind of story. I know I do too. I do too. Jesus is going to tell a parable about a rich man and let him have it. That's what I'm thinking, you know. It's easy for us because we're not rich, Right? Let them have it. You know, let the rich, let the rich man get what's coming to him. You know, Michael Jackson was so wealthy. He called himself the king of pop. He was rich. He built himself, you know, a, an amusement park. He, he slept in an oxygen chamber. He bought himself his own monkey and called her bubbles. And he died $500 million in debt. And you don't feel sorry for him. You do not, you never shed a tear for the king of pop, you know. He got what was coming to him. That's just kind of how we are. Let rich people, you know, they, they kind of get what, I mean, Howard Hughes, one of the wealthiest men in American history. Howard Hughes died still wealthy. He's filthy rich, but in the end, mostly just filthy. He sat naked in a dark hotel room. He did. He no longer showered. He let his hair, he didn't get haircuts, let his hair grow. He didn't cut his nails. He just let his nails grow. And he sat around with his own urine kept in jars. He's crazy. And you know, I hear that and think, well, you know, he, he got what was coming to him. I mean, you know, we don't feel sorry for rich. He was rich. 
He was rich. He could buy all the jars he wanted to if he wanted to pee in jars. I mean, you know, we don't care. He was rich. He got what was coming to him. And, and so when Jesus starts a parable and says, there's a rich man, y'all, we, we can't wait. We don't care. We can't wait for Jesus to get to that part where he looks at that rich man and says, you fool. Because we're like, yeah, tell him, God. Tell him. Tell him. You fool. I mean, you know, it's a delicious moment when that rich guy gets what's coming to him from God. That feels good, you know, because we ain't rich. That's kind of nice, you know, when Jesus, you know, tells the story to somebody else about somebody else, you fool, you know, let him have it. Let, let him have it. But, but now it's a parable, which means when you read a parable of Jesus, you need to slow down a little bit. You need to ask the real question, who's he talking to? Then you need to really begin to consider, what does he mean? What, what's he saying? What's it mean? And in this case, you really need to ask yourself, who's Jesus calling a fool? All right, so start with me. Who's he talking to? Well, in the scripture, it begins chapter 12, verse one, the crowds around Jesus grew until there were thousands. And that's what it says. Thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus had a crowd now of people that just wanted to be near him, just wanted to hear him teach. There are thousands of people. And out of that crowd of thousands, there's one man who shouts out and gets Jesus' attention. And that's where our parable starts, verse 13. Someone called out from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide the family fortune with me. Now, Jesus says, you know, you know, who made me the judge? You know, why should I, you know, be that kind of mediator? But the point is here, that's exactly the kind of thing that the rabbis did. So when he says, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide my father's estate, this is exactly the sort of thing that a rabbi in Jesus's day would do. And so the man is just asking Jesus to do what any other normal rabbi would do. But as you and I know, Jesus isn't any other ordinary rabbi. So Jesus basically refuses to answer the man's question. Who made me a judge to uh, you know, decide to mediate something like that? And then he says, beware, beware, which means what? Look out, be careful, danger, danger, Will Robinson, you know, danger, there's danger. Guard against every kind of greed. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of what you have. So notice what Jesus does there. He refuses to answer the man's question, but it sounds like he's gonna answer his greed. That's interesting. You see that? He's not gonna answer his question, he's gonna answer his heart. He's gonna answer his greed. What is greed? Obviously for Jesus, it is a spiritual poison. And I would say that all greed is a spiritual poison. I would say all greed is a sin. And not so fast, because I know you and I, our tendency is to imagine that this must be a sin that does not involve us. You don't think of yourself as a greedy person. I, I, would, I would be quite sure you don't think of yourself that way. So in this parable, you, you, you don't think of yourself as rich, and you don't see yourself as greedy, so already you're sort of thinking, this can't possibly apply to me, but not so fast. 
So Jesus says, beware, guard yourself against every kind of greed. So understand, Jesus seems to assume there are varieties. There are, you know, greed comes in many flavors, and one of them is going to be your favorite. Understand, there are types of greed, but all of greed is spiritual poison. All of greed is, is a sin. I would define greed this way, and then we'll move on. Uh, greed is an intense Selfish desire for something, you know what I mean? Uh, especially material wealth, power, or, or just stuff. Greed is that desire that you have for more, and all of us have greed to some degree or another. And again, I remind you, it's always a sin. It's not that you can be a little bit greedy. It's still a sin. And so it is to be uh, avoided. It is to be, in many ways, very humble before. Jesus says, beware. I mean, this is spiritual poison. This is danger. Not only that, Colossians chapter three, verse five speaks of greed and says this, don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater. What's an idolater? Idolater. It's, it's a word you'd only hear in church. Idolater. What is an idolater? Yeah, somebody who worships idols. So uh, honestly, now you're thinking, well, Pastor Tim, now I know that this isn't me because I don't, I don't worship a statue. I'm not worshiping an idol. But understand, idol is anything that you would bow down, bow your life down before that is not God. Anything that you would worship. And so it doesn't have to be a statue like an actual idol. It's just anything that you put more trust in, anything that you give more worth, anything that you live for that is not God. That makes you an idolater. You see, so greed automatically makes you an idolater for worshiping the things of this world. So you begin to worship things, things, the things you find in this world rather than God, and that makes you an idolater. And so understand, it's sin. It's always sin. Now, the other thing I would just throw out is in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives one of those long lists of people that are never going to see the inside of heaven. And in that list, it's all the people you'd expect, thieves, drunkards, and every kind of sexual deviant. But then right in the middle of that list of people that will never see the kingdom of heaven, Paul puts greedy people. Right there with the drunkards and the thieves and all the kind of sexual deviants. I mean, yeah, greedy people. So you and I have a terrible tendency to discount this sin because we really don't want to see the danger or the idolatry. We really don't want to see the way this threatens us. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. So Jesus seems to assume there are varieties, different kinds of greed. And here's the thing. Your kind of greed isn't necessarily going to be my kind of greed. And that's the game we play. Your greed isn't my greed, but I promise you everybody else's greed looks worse than yours. So let's just say in your marriage, your wife might have what we could call shoe greed. Like there are different kinds of greed and your wife has shoe greed, which means she buys a lot of shoes. Like she's only got two feet like everybody else, but she's got millions of shoes. Your wife has a closet with shoes and you could take out a shoe box and if you looked in there, it's still got paper in the toe of that shoe. She never even wore the shoe. Like she bought the shoe like she couldn't live without it, but now it's just in her closet and she don't even know what shoes she has. But then every single day, she buy more shoes and you're thinking, man, my wife's got shoe greed and there are men in this room right now saying, tell her, preach it, preach it to her, pastor, preach it. My wife's got shoe greed and it's sick. It's crazy. She's crazy. But then like you don't have that kind of greed 
And so for that reason, her shoe greed looks insane to you, and yet you can't quit buying trucks. You don't buy a truck a week, but you sure buy a lot of trucks for one man. Or, or not only that, like, didn't you last Tuesday buy a jet ski? And you don't even live by water. Dude, you got your own kind of greed, you know, and it's not your wife's kind of greed, but it's interesting how we have different kinds of greed, but everybody else's greed is always going to look worse than yours. There's a book called Godonomics, and in that the pastor describes what he calls four types of greed. I don't really think that there are only four kinds, and I'm not saying these are the four. I would say these are more symptoms of greed in some ways, but it'll just get us started. Get your mind thinking about the different ways greed can manifest in our lives. The first is hoarding, hoarding. And again, I know where your brain goes. It's like, what's that show? It's like the Learning Channel, Hoarders, and you've watched that, and it's like, like, some crazy lady that lives in this house in a mountain of ketchup packets because she can't throw away ketchup packets or like she's in this house with all these cereal boxes because she doesn't throw away cereal. But, you know, it's just like she's crazy. She's living in all this, you know, trash. And, and that's what you're thinking. I'm not a hoarder. Well, we did talk about your shoe closet for a moment there. So I don't know what you think that is. Um, hoarding is that temptation that comes from... Uh, we all have this healthy instinct to save, and I think it comes from the Lord. It's a part of being a good steward. God often provides for me today what I'll need tomorrow, and so it makes sense sometimes to lay back you know, a little extra today knowing that I may need it for tomorrow, save for a rainy day. I don't think there's anything unwise about that. I think that makes good sense. I think God gives us that instinct at times to save, but now the hoarder goes way beyond that. The hoarder begins to save back so much more than they could possibly need tomorrow. Maybe, to, maybe lots of, you may have more, well, again, more shoes than you could wear, more trucks that you could drive in a lifetime. There's something off. You know, you shouldn't have to like, you know, move the Amazon boxes out of the way every single time you walk in the door. You know, that there's something off when we just continue to accumulate and want stuff. It, it's hoarding. It's the same manifestation of greed, I think, that the farmer has in the story. What's his desire? I'm going to just build bigger barns so I have a place to store my grain and my stuff. That's what he says. Because he's got to have a barn for his four-wheeler, you know, and everything else that he has, his mowers, his tractors, you know. And so hoarding is one of the ways in which greed is manifest. It's just that inability that we ever find to be able to say no to what we want and no to more and more. We begin to hoard. Second, I would say is overspending. Overspending is, I'd say two things. It's an unwillingness to live within limits. You only make so much money and common sense says you shouldn't be spending more than you make. And yet you spend way much more than you make because, second, I think it's you, you confuse needs and wants. In other words, if you want it, you need it and you can't wait. I mean, there's something to be said for saving for something and wanting it and then working for it and then eventually having the money to pay for it and buy it. And that can be a really good feeling. Remember saving up to buy your first car when you were a teenager? I mean, some of you, if you had that blessing to be able to do that. And I'm just saying, overspenders don't know about that. They just spend and they'll spend themselves right past the money they have. They'll go into debt. They'll just keep using a credit card. They'll open another credit card. They'll open a credit card in their kid's name, open a credit card in their neighbor's name. I mean, 
they can't be stopped because they're going to get everything that they want. And they think they need it. They don't know the difference, but overspending is a pretty good symptom of greed or maybe it's a type of greed. I don't know. It just says more and more and more. Comparison is a trap a lot of us are falling into these days. Social media feeds comparison. I never thought that much about the vacations we took till I saw your vacation to Aruba. And I don't necessarily know where Aruba is, but last summer we went to Shakertown and all of a sudden I feel dumb because you're in Aruba drinking drinks with umbrellas and I'm in Shakertown watching them make soap. You know, five miles from my house. I thought I was doing okay till I saw y'all, you know, out there, you know, in Hawaii somewhere, you know, and we just compare ourselves to other people and we want to match their lifestyle. Kardashians came out with their show. What'd they call it? Keeping up with the Kardashians because you got to keep up. I mean, what happens if you don't keep up? I don't know, but I don't want to find out. I plan on keeping up, you know? We just always want to make sure that we match the lifestyle of our neighbors or our influencers, right? I mean, many people today want to be an influencer. It's a way of monetizing your social media. If you can get companies to pay you to represent their products, then you can be on your Instagram, you know, opening a Pop-Tart going, mmm, Pop-Tart, you know? And listen, if you buy a Pop-Tart, use my hashtag, hashtag Pastor Tim, you know? I mean, it's... They're just playing into this idea that you're going to compare and you're going to want that. It's greed. It's jealousy. It's, uh, uh, it's poison. But man, this is so much of our lives these days. One more, entitlement. Entitlement. Entitlement's a strange kind of greed because entitlement invades the relationship with things so that you can't even really appreciate them because you think you deserve them. You understand the, the danger of that? Entitlement is, is, is just that idea that I'm inherently deserving of, of everything that other people have or anything that I want. I, I deserve it. Man, I mean, I mean, commercials, they play to this. What's it, L'Oreal? What was the, the ladies' shampoo hair dye brand that used to end their commercials with? And I'm worth it, you know? In other words, man, this, this probably costs a whole lot more money than shampoo is worth, but you are worth it. Are you though? I mean, are you though? You worth it? What makes you worth it? You know, I'm just worth it. You know, it's interesting how we play that game. You know, you know, I'm gonna have a house in that neighborhood because I grew up poor and you know, I've done without, but I'm not gonna do without now. I deserve this. I work every day. I deserve, well, what, what? You think you deserve? Entitlement, like I say, is, is, is just a, the worst kind of rot spiritually because you can't possibly actually enjoy things that you think you deserve. And, and on top of that, it separates what you, what you have from any pleasure that you might get from working for it and earning it. You know what I mean? You just think you deserve it. And it's a terrible kind of greed. There are many kinds of greed according to Jesus. It's, mine's not yours, but uh, uh, inevitably greed has its hold in many of our lives. So, uh, so the story. Jesus told him a story. Rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. Don't you hate that, man? He was rich already, and then he got richer. The rich just get richer. Let's keep going. He said to himself, what should I do? 
I don't have room for all my crops. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger barns. I'll have enough room to spare for all of my wheat and goods. I'll sit back and say to myself, man, we're going to have a good life. Sit back now. I got enough for years to come eat, drink, and be merry. That's the story, right? But it's a story about greed. So what you should understand is that this man's greed infects his thinking. Now, when he has all of this, like a rich man who just gets richer, like a rich farmer who's already got a good farm, and then he gets a bumper crop, and now he's got more than he doesn't know what to do with all he's got, you know? And so he asks himself a question. He's like, what in the world am I going to do with all my stuff? I know. I'll just rent, I'll rent one of those units out there where I just keep putting stuff, you know, in something. I need a barn. I'll just build another barn so I have enough for my four-wheeler. I just, you know, I, I got to have more. I mean, that's his question. What am I going to do, you know, so I can keep and have all my stuff? And you understand, that's a greedy question. His greed keeps him from asking the only question worth asking here. And had he asked this question, this story would take him to a very different place. But he never asked the only question worth asking. And that is just simply, why am I so blessed? Why am I so blessed? I have so much and I continue to get even more. Why am I so blessed? Now that's a great question. And that's the question right there that will break the spine of greed in your life if you're brave enough to ask this question. Why am I so blessed? And, and I'm asking you, I'm challenging you to ask this question. Why are you so blessed? There's somebody in this room saying, Pastor Tim, you're talking to me like I'm rich. I ain't rich. I ain't all that blessed. You seen my car out there? Yeah, you have a car. I mean, you know, our, our brains are so messed up because we live in this greedy culture. Everyone around us is greedy. Our culture itself just continues to tell us to want more and more. You deserve it. You're worth it. And, and we've drank that poison and it infects us now. So, so we listen to a story like this and think, well, I hope the rich people are hearing this one. You want to talk about who's rich? Okay, Jesus calls this man rich. Jesus calls this man rich. But this man in his whole life had never sat his lily white bottom down on a commode that flushed. This man in the story, if he just walked in your bathroom, he would not understand your wealth. A commode that flushes, I mean, like running water in the house, a shower that has hot water. This man in his whole life had never stood underneath a, one of those, you know, rain shower heads. It makes you feel like you're outside naked, you know, in the forest, getting rained. I mean, you know, we have amazing wealth. There's never been a nation on earth. There's never been a people. I'm telling you, in all the generations of Wibram Baptist Church, I've, no one's ever looked out across a congregation that was as wealthy as the congregation I'm facing right now. You don't have everything you want, I know. You can't stop wanting, but you ever just stop and ask yourself why you've got all that you have? You're so blessed. You don't see that you're blessed? God's been so good to you. You're blessed. Pastor Tim, I really wish I could redo my kitchen. Stop. Stop. You have food, you have clothes, you have shelter. You are so blessed. And this world has never seen a generation of people so wealthy. 
this man in his whole life had never, you know, took out his iPhone and called up an Uber. So let's be realistic and, and, and let's be willing to ask ourselves, why am I so blessed? Now, I'm not just asking you to ask this question like in the abstract. I'm going to give you the question. Here it is. Now I'm going to give you the answer because the answer is not unknown. The scripture is very, very clear. If you want to know why you are so blessed, the answer is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Write this down. I've given you the question and the answer. You're getting your money's worth today from me, people. Do you see? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. This is the answer to the question. Why am I so blessed? Why are you so blessed? Here's what it says. God will generously provide all you need. Now, that's a promise from God's word. You can count on that. God will generously provide you all that you need. Now, you're thinking, well, Pastor Tim, that can't be true. I've got $100,000 worth of school loans. You went to college? And, you know, we really struggle because we are so lacking in discernment. We, we don't know the difference between what we want and what we need, but God knows. And the promise is God will generously. It means he ain't stingy with it. God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need. I mean, he says it twice. You're going to have everything you need. I've I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken and never seen God's children begging bread. I mean, you will always have everything you need. And then notice what it says. Having everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So when you ask yourself, why am I so blessed? The answer is right here. God has given you generously everything you need, but then he gave you a little bit extra. Why? So you can live a really good life because you're worth it. No, no. No, God's given you extra so that you can look around and share with those who don't have what you have. Well, Pastor Tim, I work for what I have. Yeah, will you just stop for a minute? You say you work for what you have, but you understand, who gave you the breath in your lungs every single day when you woke up and went to work? Who gave you your health? Who gave you another day of life to go to work? I mean, what are you thinking, that you're really providing for yourself? God will generously provide all you need and then you'll have plenty left over to share with others. This is the point. This is God's economy right here. This is why you're so blessed. You have enough to share. So share. Now, somebody's saying, Pastor Tim, you're right. Amen. That's how I want to live. When God finally starts giving me enough left over, I'm going to start, I'm going to really be, I'm going to be giving. I'll give to the church. I'm going to send orphans to college. I mean, when, when, when I finally, when I can pay off, when I can get to a place where I got enough, I'm going to be really generous. I love you, but can I tell you the truth? No, you're not. No, you're not. If you're not generous now with what you have, you're not gonna be generous later if you have more. Understand, if stinginess is what's in your heart, stinginess is gonna be in your heart no matter what's in your pocketbook. We're talking about a heart condition. Your generosity, that's a fruit of the Spirit. If you don't have it, you don't have it. If you don't have it, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to let the Holy Spirit begin to produce his fruit in your life. I'm just telling you, you keep saying, yeah, you know, when, I, when we get a little bit more ahead, then I'm going to really start, I'm going to start giving. No, you won't. You tell yourself you will, you won't. It's not about how much you have. It's, it, it, it's about your trust in the Lord to provide for you and your 
understanding of why he's given you more than you need. And if you don't see that now, you won't see it later. And if you think that with what you have right now, you don't have enough, I promise you later on, you won't think you have enough either. This is a heart thing. You'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's why you're so blessed. Okay, quickly, a couple of lessons from the parable, and, uh, and we'll wrap up. Uh, you, you know that uh, the Gospel of Luke is written in the Greek language. All of us are reading from English translations. I know that usually doesn't matter, but today it matters a little because there's a word that's repeated in, in, in the way Jesus tells the parable. There's a word that's repeated over and over and over that gets lost in the English translation, but I want to make sure you hear it because I think Jesus is making a point with this word. The word is soul. The word soul doesn't appear in my translation, probably doesn't appear in yours, but in Luke's manuscript, the way Luke wrote this story out from Jesus' own words, Luke uses the word soul over and over and over, and it really changes the way you read the parable. So let me read it. I'm going to put soul back in every time Jesus had soul, and then you see what a difference it makes. So rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. So he said to his soul, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to my soul, soul, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Hmm. There's an emphasis on the word soul there. What do you think it means? Well, I'd say it simply, and and then I'll elaborate a bit. But I just, I think the point is you may own a world of stuff, but your soul will always belong to God. This man is so proud of himself, man. He puts his nose in the air and listens to the sound of his barns bursting at the seams. And he says to his soul, soul, you got a lot. You have enough. You got it left up. You know, soul, you need to eat. I mean, this man is talking to his soul. And he uses that word soul over and over and over. But understand, for all that this man owns, and he can own a lot, and he can have a lot, and he can put it in his barn, and he can call it his. But his soul is always going to belong to God. His soul is borrowed And basically what the Lord says here is, you fool, tonight your soul's about to be repossessed. You know, he doesn't own it. He doesn't own it. He can't have it. There's not a barn in the world that lets that man keep his soul. And I'm telling you, this happens to be the night that God says, man, I'm calling that soul back home. And then everything that man worked for, where's it going to be? You understand? So you just need to understand there's this world of stuff and then there's your soul. They're the things that really matter and greed will keep you from ever noticing or understanding the value of eternal things. And your soul is an eternal thing. All the stuff that you have, y'all, it gets old, it rusts, it goes out of style. You will hate it next season, but your soul lasts for eternity and it's the one thing that you seem so willing to trade on a discount. You fool, God says, you fool. This night your soul is going to be required from you. The man talking to his soul like a fool. And he says, soul, what we're going to do is eat, drink, and be merry. He's talking to his soul. And he says, we're going to eat. We're going to drink. Yeah, understand. You must not mistake the hunger of physical appetites for the hunger of your soul. Your soul is not satisfied with the things that satisfy your physical appetites. So this man says, we're going to eat. We're going to have Mexican food. We're going to bury our face in a bowl of queso. 
Don't you love queso, man? It's the best thing God ever made, man. Uh, queso, we're going, we're, we're going to eat Chinese food, man. We're going to have pizza, and we're going to have steak, man. We're going to eat, we're going to drink, and man, what a fool. Because none of that's going to satisfy his soul. That's why greed is such a, a deadly spiritual poison because it continues to tell you that, that you'll be satisfied. It promises you that this will really make you happy. Man, you're gonna look so you you're gonna look good in this bathing suit, girl. All you gotta do is get this bathing suit. And then when you look at the pictures from last year and you think, ooh, I need a new bathing suit. Yeah, it ain't a bathing suit. I mean, you know. But we just keep telling ourselves that, man, if I just had one more, you know, if, man, if I, I have, yeah, I have a million of those, but if I had one more, greed never lets you have enough because nothing's enough. Nothing will satisfy your soul. If your soul is not satisfied with the love of the God who made your soul, then understand your soul will always be starving. You never must mistake hunger of physical appetites for the hunger of your soul. And then one more thing, and it's, and it's an important thing. The man says to his soul, soul, I, I, I know what I'll do. I, I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns. I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and goods. And then I'll sit back and say to myself, soul, you have enough stored away for years to come. You get that? You have enough stored away for years to come. You ever thought about that? Like, how much do you need? Like for retirement or to really live the good life, how much do you need? And, and some of us think a lot about that. Like you're thinking about saving for retirement and you got to go. And when you get that, if you get a million dollars in the bank, then you're going to retire because you're going to figure at that point, I got enough to live for years. Don't have to work. Everything's paid for. I, I'm always looking ahead we are and trying to plan to make sure that we don't run out. So this man talking to his soul he says, so you got enough layback. We are set for years to come. And this is where God says, you fool. Because this man thinks he's got enough to last him for years. And the tragic truth is, he doesn't have what it takes to get through tonight. Tonight, he's going to stand before God naked and empty. And he is not ready for that. Do you understand? You're not ready to face tomorrow. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. You're not ready to face tomorrow until you're ready to face eternity. And a lot of you are not ready. You're not ready to face eternity. You have a terrible tendency to underestimate your readiness. We grew up way out in the country. Y'all know. I'm, I'm a hillbilly kid. I have one sister, her name's Tracy. Tracy's a couple years older than me. We grew up, we, we grew up so far out in the sticks. I mean, there's nothing to do. We had like three TV channels back in the day. Y'all know that. There's nothing on them. Um, and all day long, my grandma would watch this, and she watched soap operas, which are terrible, you know, as the world turns. Um, she watched her stories. So my sister and I were just bored. We tried to entertain ourselves on the farm. We'd throw corn cobs in the pond and, you know, stuff like that. And then... I don't know who started, but one day we just started running away. We just would run away. And then we were serious. Um, I mean, seriously, well, there wasn't anywhere to go. And we always came home by supper. But it just felt good. You know, so I'm done with this place. I'm done. I'm out of here. See you all later. You know, and we'd leave. We'd run away. Um, man, I ran, one day I, was, I ran away. And uh, my sister said, where are you going? I'm probably six. She's probably eight. I said, I'm going to live at the second barn. We had three barns. I'm going to live in the second barn. 
She said, I'll bring you food. <laughs> and my sister and I, we were together in this. So we would take turns running away. My mama never cared. She never cared. We just would run away, always come back. But one day my sister, like, um, she's probably eight years old, um, she did what we had never done before. Because we, we did this. We were, I mean, we were, we were professional, you know, running awayers. Um, so I, I thought I knew what was up. But then one day my sister, she really did it. Like she said, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. And she had a suitcase. Like we had never packed luggage. None of us ever, and she's eight. And she had this Barbie suitcase. It was purple and psychedelic. It was awesome. And so she had it in her hand when she walked out the door to mom and me. She said, I'm gone, I'm, I'm gone, I'm running away. See you all with a suitcase. You look serious with a suitcase. And so she meant it. So my sister, I watched her. She walked down the driveway with her purple suitcase. She took a right hand and she went up the road. Man, my sister was gone with a suitcase. It looked serious. My mama didn't care. Um, I forgot about her, to be honest. I really, I forgot about her. And in a minute, hour, whatever, my mama said, hey, you want to go to the store? Which is because we live so far out, like to go to the store is like, ah, like this is what you all would feel like going to Disney World. We're going to the store. Like, yes, I want to yes, go to the store. So I got in the car with mom. I'm in the back seat. Mom's in the front seat. We're going down the road. And I look, and sure enough, I can see my sister. Like, my sister, was, she was getting it. Like, she was way up the road. You could see her purple suitcase for miles. And I could see her walking. And I mean, I, I do have a I mean, I forgot about her. And now I see her again. So anyway, mom pulls up beside her and says, you want to go to the store? My sister says, yeah. And so, so... <laughs> I mean, we, we ran away every day, y'all. It's no big deal. So, so my sister throws the suitcase in the back seat with me, her punk brother, and she sits down in the front seat with mom. And so now my sister's returned. It's all good. But I'm just thinking, what is in this suitcase? Because I need to know. Like that is, that is something we, that is another level of running away. And I need to, to know, like, what do you pack? Like what, because next time I'm taking a suitcase, you better know I am. I just need to know, what do you put in it? Because, like, I'm six. Like, I don't know what you need out there on the road without your parents facing the world, you know, like with nothing but a suitcase. Like, what do you put in it? So I couldn't wait, y'all. They're driving to the store. Nobody's paying attention to me. I got my sister's suitcase in my lap. I flipped the latches. I opened up that purple psychedelic suitcase. Guess what's in it? It's packed, y'all. It's packed. Guess what's in it? Panties. Like all of them. Like my sister like emptied out her underwear drawer and, that, and like she had like 900 pair of little girls unmentionables and she stuffed them in like she's going down the road, you know, as if it's like, like if all you got's clean panties, you can take on the world, girl. I mean, my sister left home to live without her parents, you know, with just a suitcase full of panties. So the rich man said to his soul, he said, soul, you've got enough. You, you've got plenty. You've got, you got it laid back for years to come. He really thought he was ready to take on the world, you all. He thought he had it all. God says, you fool. Tonight, tonight your soul is required of you. Understand, you are not ready to face tomorrow till you're ready to face eternity. I know, I know, you think you got your suitcase packed. You think you know what you need. But if you don't have your peace with the Lord, you do not have 
anything of worth. I don't mean to be inappropriate about the men who died this week, but understand one day, not too long ago, Cliff Stewart walked out of this church on a Sunday morning, and I promise you, he had no idea that was his last Sunday here. He sang like we sang, he prayed like we prayed, he sat just like you're sitting, and he walked out the door, and it never, ever occurred to him, I'll never see the inside of that church again. Larry Wynn, same thing. Larry Wynn was at a cafe last time he was here, and he walked out of that cafe, and I promise you, I promise you, it never crossed his mind that, he'd never, that he would never step foot in this church again. You don't know. All you think you know, and you think you're ready. You think you got it. You, you, you think it's all about like the house you live in or the clothes you wear. You really think it's about your money? You fool. You fool. So if, when you read a parable, you need to slow down and ask yourself, you know, what it means. What does this mean? Who's, who's Jesus talking to? And in this case, I think it's important to ask yourself, um, who's Jesus calling a fool? Who's he calling a fool? Pray with me.